Kaiju FM, come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the uh, infrequent but always excellent show of Dice and Robs. My name is Rob, my co-host, my co-journeyman on this journey through the cosmos of our minds is another Rob. Hello, I'm Rob Wickings. I am the um, the, the second half of the equation, if you want, um, the other bit of the equal sign. I'll take that, the other bit of the equal sign, it's a lovely way of saying it. Thank you. Yeah, maths has never been my strong point, by the way. <laughs> it was for me, and I'll, I'll carry us in those directions. As always on this show, guys, we roll some dice. You see? I roll some dice. We get a random number from those dice between 1 and 25. Rob has a list of topics, and we discuss from there. Indeed. Basically, that is the general conceit, and we stretch yep. that out into... A long record telling people shaggy dog stories that make us happy. It is a show of chance, coincidence and conversation, so um, expect all three in the next however long we do this for. It's always fun, it's always interesting, and it's always entirely unplanned. Which, given (laughs) I do many other podcasts that require a lot of planning, this is a show that traffics on mine and Rob's long friendship, and uh, Mm. that makes me happy. So, indeed. Right. First up, guys, I'm sure you can hear that. I'm going to roll the dice and we're going to get to number three. Number three? Okay. That was fun, but I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> so much stuff in my life. Oh, I... Rob, start off. Stock car racing. Oh. Stock car racing. Only ever did it once. Um, it was a work thing. And um, at the time, I worked with an awful lot of petrol heads, mm. quite competitive petrol heads as well. And at the time, I was not um, the greatest of drivers. <laughs> I basically passed my... It took me um, six goes past my driving test. Okay. And the final impetus for me to pass my driving test was the fact that um, me and my lovely... Claire were about to get married and we'd booked a honeymoon in Scotland because if I didn't pass my driving test she was going to have to do all the driving and for some reason that managed to kick my brain into the right sort of level to be able to actually pass the test I, basically mm. that but I, I, I was the most confident of drivers um, so subsequently the idea of doing stock car racing was kind of fun kind of scary and I was kind of awful at it if you see what I mean I do I, this is like this is one of the reasons I love this show like of all the things I thought Rob was going to say there <laughs> stock car racing absolutely it was it was it was somewhere um somewhere in uh near Enfield somewhere like that and um it's a yeah you know, it's a fairly decent sized track and, mm. and we were driving um converted mini metros right basically. Yeah, which had um, basically two gears to them. Mm. Um, so the idea was that basically you started off in, in first and then shifted up to second as soon as you could and then just like wanged around and <laughs> and, and, uh, and and tried not to end up on the roof. Um, I managed somehow to forget to change out of first on my second go round and managed to burn out the engine of one of the cars. <laughs> great <laughs> yeah absolutely which Fun. really helped my com- it really helped my confidence no end <laughs> um 
I mean, that being said, I still I still had a good time. I still enjoyed doing it, but mm. you know, once is enough for that one, I would say. Yeah, no, I I can uh, agree on that one. I think for me, the biggest one for me is Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder, yes, yeah. So uh, I know what that is, but you might want to. Yeah, so those who don't know, Tough Mudder is a obstacle race not a race obstacle course um because they, they, they stress very strongly that it is not a race it is not about your course time it's about everyone getting around this was the wire call being about i think about eight miles i think about eight miles mm. it was um yeah. and it's designed to push you very hard so for me that things like there's an ice bath called the arctic enema which is so cold it forces the air out of your lungs and like someone has to pull you out of the water and then you turn around and you pull the next person out of the water oh my god um and uh, crawling through trenches lined with gravel and what one point there's this there's this little I think they stopped doing it now, but basically you have to belly crawl through water. So it's about, I don't know, four inches of water, and then about yeah. three-inch gap, and then there are electric cables hanging down from the like this box you crawl under. So they're shocking you, the electric cables are, yes. and you're soaking with water. Um, and in an infant moment, one of my people I was doing it with got in a loop where he would get he got his head shocked, which forced his head underwater, and then he pulled right. back up and got shot again and back underwater and he was just up and down and shot with me to pull him out. This That's w- berserk. It is. That is just non... I, I, and, and you volunteered for this. You paid for this. Well, the, the longest story behind this is that back in 2009, I, la- I ran the London Marathon. Um, okay. This was born out entirely of youthful arrogance and ignorance as to how hard it was. <laughs> 2008 Olympics, 2008 London Marathon, I'm watching it on my TV and I'm thinking, well, I could do that. I could run yeah. a marathon. Like, you know, it's just running. I could do that. At this yeah, point, yeah. I have never done any running in my life. I'm renowned for being unfit. My dad often says to me, Rob, before, before this, you will hit me only running and being chased. And that's, you know, this is a, a motto I had. And I thought, I can run that. And luckily slash foolishly, my wife, who at the time was my girlfriend, she was a charity mm-hmm. fundraiser. And so yep. through her charity, I got a place in the London Marathon. Wow. And I'm like, oh, brilliant, I can do this. I've got to raise some money. That's fair enough. And then you start yep. reading about it. And you're like, well, people die doing this. Oh my god! The, the thing that always strikes me is the notion of nipple, nipple chafing. Yes, the nipples get chafed. You have to learn to nipple tape pretty early on. And wow. so, over the course of about nine months, I went from my first ever like run training run in which I ran about a mile and literally cried with the pain right. in my thigh. I literally came off the tra- the um, running machine and sat on this weight bench and had tears in my eyes, thinking, "I've agreed to do." 26.4 miles and a mile has killed me and I went from there to running the London Marathon and I ran mm. the London Marathon I was not fast but I made it round them and I've got a medal yeah, yeah this took then to inspire one of my friends who like me had always been a heavy set chap to get into running as well he is now an ultra marathon runner wow Rob knows him Rich oh Rich yes yeah yeah and he got heavily into this, and he still is heavily into this. And he's like, Rob, we're doing a tough murder. You should come. This is like 2011, 2010. So I'm, like, I'm two years out from the marathon. I have dropped off the fitness wagon like 
badly. Um, I'm no longer in any kind of marathon shape. Oof. And I'm like, fair enough, I'll do it. Right. So we rock up to this this Tough Mudder, and it is hard core. One of the very first things you have to do is scale like a flat, a flat straight wooden wall and go over it. It's like six feet high. You're going to just put it over it. This is before the start line. This is join the enclosure of the start line. I crack a rib doing that. Yes. You put yeah, um, I imagine you would actually. Um and and have to run with this pain in my side from a crack rib for the next ten miles. Um and then you go around and it's like jumping over fences and like there was a fifteen foot jump into a murky water and this Arctic enema and all these obstacles and there were people here who I would say were carved out of stones by Greek sculptors. Like there are people doing the tough mad tough mudder. You're like, I don't know how are you, you you're a superhero. You know, like you're not a real person. It's ridiculous. I, I mean, this uh, it just feels like it, it, well, they, they sound like gluttons gluttons for punishment to me. Absolutely, frankly. And the, the, I mean, I will come in this minute. Like there is something called toughest mudder. Good God! So it goes tough, up. Tough, tough mudder is 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 this this route you do. Toughest mudder is how many laps can you do in twenty four hours? I crumba. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I've done one. I'm good. <laughs> I have. You, you're given a headband. You, you, I have a bright orange headband for tough mudder, um, and I'm very proud of that. I'm very happy having done that, but never again. Mm. I will say I did the four of us who did it, it as me and Rich, and there were two sisters who I did it with. Yeah, um, who are both petite, slender girls. Okay, they're fit, but petite, slender girls, um, and they did very, very well. One of the obstacles was obstacles. You have to pick up this probably six foot long tree trunk between two of you and run half a mile with it on a shoulder. God, right? It's heavy. It hurts. Yes. These girls rock up, these two sisters, and everyone's a bit like, do you need a hand, do you little? The secret thing is, these two girls are power lifters. Ah. This is their sport. They are power lifters. <laughs> they basically toss this log into the air, catch it, and sprint off. And there's this lovely moment of all these burly, <laughs> rough-and-tumble blokes being like, all right then, I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, truly outclassed by the sounds of it. Absolutely. So it was a deeply fun day, and it's a day I look back on, back on with like joy and real sense of accomplishment. Um, but a year later, when Richard like, do you want to do it again? I'm like, nope, not. <laughs> I'm good. Not a chance. How much training did you have to do for that? Just out of interest. Uh, um, I should have done a lot more than I did. Yeah. Um, okay. Essentially, having coming off the marathon where it was just running. I went into the Tough Mudder viewing it as this 10-mile race, and I did training for that race. What I should have done is far more upper body work. I should have done far more weight work, because things like pull yourself up. The the, the one bit was like a... I I would say it's probably a 15-foot wall, and like someone has to help you up, and then you pull yourself over it, and then you stand there. Like that whole kind of old old army Krypton Factor thing. Oh, God, yeah. Um, And... The stuff that I really struggled with, stuff where like, I didn't just didn't have body strength. I could run, I could do the running fit fine. Mm. But I think looking back, if I had it again, I would do much more strength work and core work because that's really where I didn't do very well. Mm. Um, and obviously where the sisters just absolutely owned me every step yeah, of the way because absolutely. that's all that's yeah. the, the, so much what they had. But yeah, that was Tough Murder was one of those things where I look at it with real pride. Mm. But I've got no intention of doing it. 
<laughs> yes, I can. Yeah, I can. Well, but I, I can imagine it's the sort of thing where you just wouldn't be able to prepare properly for it in your first time. I, I, I think it'd take you by surprise somewhere down the road. I mean, this whole thing about having like a, a, a plunge, a ice cold plunge pool with an electrical mm. grid over the top of it, just that's that just sounds like sadism to me. It doesn't actually sound like something that's going to be fun in any sort of way mean or form at all it's i don't know like it's one of those things where i like i've never experienced what people call a runner's high right. i've never had that yeah where you get the euphoria of doing exercise you get the adrenaline the, the endorphins going i've never had that in all the exercise i've ever done i've never had that yeah but there is a deep feeling of satisfaction and joy of having finished of having done it. like I, I still run to this day. I still run. I try and do it every Saturday morning. Okay. Every morning I do it yep. as a half hour, 40 minute run. Yep. And I hate it. I hate running. Hmm. I just don't enjoy running. It hurts part of my body. I feel out of breath. It hurts in pain. But then I get back and it's like 9am and I've done a run and I have a sense of satisfaction in having done it. Hmm. And I always say the marathon was six months of pain followed by five hours of a lot of pain. <laughs> followed by the best half an hour of my entire life. That's when the endorphins kick in. Yeah. Crossing that like that the, the I mean since then I've got married and had a family and like things change. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah 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 yeah. The feeling of crossing that marathon finish line you run down the mall in London. Um you've gone past Buckingham Palace. You've run this thing that you know the human body is not designed to do. Yeah. And you cross the line and you stop running. And you haven't got to run again. And like they do a really great job when you cross the line of they funnel you and you get a photograph, you get medal, yep. you get a photograph taken, yep, yep. you get given your bag and you get you given your like little silver bucket, and you aren't put out into the wider world of, of out to the runners for easily five minutes and you haven't got to go it until you're ready and that's really good because I could not have faced people at that time yeah but like I was deeply emotional crossing that line. <laughs> In a way that I haven't even got words. I, I, I think I'm a pretty good writer, but I haven't got words to express that feeling of oh. relief, relief and success, and it's a feeling unlike anything I've ever had. Um, and I like, I enjoyed the marathon in a loose sense term, in that like it was big day out in London, people cheer your name, like it's a big event. Mm, yeah. But it hurt. It hurt the entire yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think both, maybe then that's it. Like I say, you know, the, the question was, that was fun, but I wouldn't do it again. Mm. Obviously, I still run, so I still do it again. Yeah. But, but yeah, the Tough Mudder is one where I'm like, thank you, but no. Yeah. I mean, you're a braver man than I am, certainly. There's the sort of thing that I'd take one look at and go, No. Absolutely not. I'm, you know, I'm not a run- I'm a walker, not a runner. So <laughs> I, I, I walk for miles and miles and miles, and know that I'm getting a decent stretch. I'm getting a decent exercise out of it. But the whole notion of a running that just seems like a little bit mm. too much, like hard work. You know, I'll get there eventually. I don't need to do it in a rush. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get where I need to go. Thank you very much. And then to pile sort of this bizarre, sadistic sort of um, obstacle course on top of that, just I don't know. It, it 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 certainly doesn't sound like fun to me. Is all I'd say. Yeah. There. When I my day job, um, I'm not going to say where I work because um, yeah. that'd be creepy. But where I work currently has the unusual distinction of I work with people who are ex-Olympians. Right. 
So people who just generally do jobs in my office, so they work in HR or they work in event planning, yeah, are Olympians or are world class athletes or have been, yeah. Um, and when I started, um, they were putting together a tough mother team. Okay. Um, and one person knew that I'd done it and they asked me to do it, and I just thought, you were in the Olympics. There's no way I'm joining a team with you. <laughs> like, I, I, can, I can handle, you know, my ego is pretty healthy. I can handle, you know, knowing where I am in the heck involved. But doing a Tough Mudder, which was hard, with people who are genuinely professional athletes, like, I, I couldn't handle it. You know, my, my fragile male ego couldn't take that. No, exactly. Got, but yeah, I, right. and, and I can absolutely understand that. I mean, my God, you know, you're sort of up against potential medal winners mm. and, and things like that, and you're being expected to compete with that. It's just like, no, that's just one. That's crazy. One thing I did love is because um, it's a very sports for your company, um, and we did a sports day, and I played frisbee yeah. at university. This people laugh. I played a little bit of frisbee for university. I played for my university, and I played for Wales as a nation. Um, and I'm like, I'm not very fit, but I'm good at that sport. Yeah. And we had like a national sports day when. I was asked, because another colleague played a bit, to run some train sessions for Frisbee. And so we had these people come along, and like there are people here who are very, 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 very good at the sport they do. Mm-hmm. And you step outside that sport they do, and I just presume they'd be good at this too. Yeah. Because they're an athlete. Yeah. And they're not. Like, there's one guy, he's absolutely, like, the nicest man in the entire world, and he used to be a boxer. Right. And he, he is, like, he's very built and he's very strong. And he's, he's a very, very fit guy. He's lovely. And I remember playing golf with him one day for a sports thing. And I just thought, like, not that he's bad at it, but he wasn't any worse than me. And I'm not like, and it's about like, it, like you step outside their sport. And which I think how it goes, like, you get into your sport and you do your sport very well. And they, like, you would destroy me at their sports. Mm. But outside of that sport, they are no better than, you know, a finesse sport than anyone else and it was just really interesting to see that um, tough butter though I'm happy to leave him to it yeah thank you no absolutely no not. no, uh. no. But yeah I think that was, that's the big one for me I think that's... I mean there are, like there are things that I look back now like where I loved doing them at the time mm. but now I'm 20 years older I wouldn't want to do them. Yes. Like, the whole of university. Really? Okay. Like, I loved university, but if someone said, oh, you can go back tomorrow and be your age, I wouldn't. Well, basically, because I, with, with the knowledge that you've got now going back. But, yeah. like, but literally, like, being a 38-year-old man at university. Oh, God, no. Can you imagine? It, 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 exactly. Um, and so these things were like, like I remember when I was sixteen, um, we did this twenty-four hour movie marathon to celebrate two hundred cities. Yeah, and we got a bunch of films and we basically watched them for twenty-four hours straight. We had a friend's house, big garage, we put up a big director, and we just got drunk and watched movies. Mm. And it was amazing. I loved it. But like now, I couldn't do a twenty-four hour movie fest. Abs- like, absolutely not. I love movies, but that would I'd be ruined for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I- for me, I absolutely loved university. Um, oh, I love you. Uh, yeah, I can I can absolutely see where you're coming from from there because the sort of life that I lived in university, and I was no sort of mad caner or anything like that. I, mm. I, I was just you know a, enthu- enthusiastic about going out and going to pubs and going to clubs and mm. maybe not sleeping as much as I should and so on and so forth. But oh, but man. 
the 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 concept of do, of living that sort of life now mm. would would turn me into this puddle with sticks in it in in like a like a weak flat there is absolutely no way i could do that now um similarly uh another uh, another thing that was fun that i wouldn't do it again um interestingly keying back into conversation about this 24 hour thing that you did film festivals i would abs- mm. i've done a few you know i've done um i've done can i did i did the can film festival once um I, there's a thing I can called the short film corner, which you can enter for free. And there's hundreds and hundreds of short films. And they have like a little projection booth where you can put your film on. And yeah, we were lucky enough to get to, uh, I think we basically paid a little bit to get into it. So th- th- there's that there. So we went along and tried to support our film, but of course it's the Cannes Film Festival. So everyone's got their film out there. And we just basically lived the life of mm. um, a caning film festival type for three days, four days, and just barely slept. And it was fantastic fun. But you have to be on point all the time. You have to be ready to sell yourself all the time. And as an introvert, I've, I didn't realise that I was as bad an introvert at the time. I just thought, you know... Why? Why is all this social interaction tiring me out so much? And that's mm. exactly what it was. So you know, I've done, I've, I've done like things like, you know, I've done Cannes, I've done the Sheffield Film Festival with my mate Dom a couple of times, which is the, the the one of the biggest documentary film festivals on the planet. And again, it's all about seminars and it's about glanding people and meeting up with people. Um, but oh boy, you just you you just run out by the end of that. Mm. You know, having to do all that social interaction and having to do all that sort of making nice and being on point for publicity all the time. Yeah, you know, I did a radio interview the 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 second year we were there. I, 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 I chatted to BBC Radio Sheffield, which was just like, yeah, it's great fun, but oh my god, you know, I, I, it's it's totally nerve wracking. I, I, I'm not the sort of person that does that easily, but I did it. So that's. Yeah, that's that, that, yeah. That's probably another thing that was fun, but I wouldn't do it again. Radio interviews, terrifying, absolutely <laughs> bloody terrifying. Um, but yeah, anything like that where where you're basically up all day, up all night, and just needing a week or so to recover afterwards. Um, uh, yeah, not for me anymore. I'm too much of a homebody. Yeah, I, that I mean, we're recording this guys in the November of 2020, <laughs> so we are. Eight, oh, not ten months into general phases of lockdown and quarantine. Yeah, and I've always been probably an extrovert. I've always been quite happy to go out and do things and be out there. And I've not been much of a homebody most of my life. Cause I've been travelling for work, and so you get used to that. Sure. I am. I have changed to my core these days, guys. I I, I love a bit of gardening. Nice. I love sitting in the house reading. I've always enjoyed things like reading. Mm. Like the idea of just staying home sold and that is prior to this year has never been me and i'm much more with you now like yeah like all these things i used to do where i'd go out i always used to do i'd go out and you know travel and get in the car and go for adventures i'm like actually i could stay at home kind of nice kind of nice quite nice i've got good food here and i can make great food here yeah 
I've got good books, I've got my family, and I've got a comfy seat. What more could a man want? That silence there was Rob trying to think of anything else that would possibly add to the quality of his life and failing dismally to do so. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean... No, a bigger TV. Bigger TV. All <laughs> oh, right, fair yeah. enough. Now, at the corner of now, the corner of our living room, we can just about fit a forty-three incher in, and that's as big as we need to go. Yeah, I've had the same TV for about a decade now, and it's yeah, fine. same here. And that's it. Yeah, I don't. No, I, I think all. I mean, like, we'll joke here, but like, I'm looking at an allotment. <gasps> um, and like that's the thing that I want right now is allotment. They're all sold out around here because everyone, everyone's like, I could do that. And I'm like, yeah, bit of land. Like, we, we grow some vegetables here and there. We've had some really nice harvests of potatoes this year and lettuce. Yep. And our, yep, yep. our, our um, lettuce is still going, which is really lovely. Oh, cool. Um, but, you know, it's... Anyway, we've drifted a long way from where we started. Shall we roll some more, Rob, and uh, see where we end up? Go for okay. it. 16. 16. What do you mean I can't dot 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 question mark <laughs> let me tell you about the time I broke into a swimming pool um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm in Jordan I'm in Amman in Jordan um, okay. and we have been away we've been filming in India for a month and we're now doing a month in Amman and we get to Amman and the pool is closed no the, the middle is it's like a hotel's like a big like big square big central courtyard big pool it's closed. No right. one's allowed in. Right. Um, it is swelteringly hot because we're down the Middle East. It's so hot. And they're like, no, the pool's closed. The pool is closed. No one's allowed in. We're opening it on this date, which is two weeks' time. So like halfway through our stay, they're like, they're opening the pool then. It can't open before that. And, and I'm like, oh, this is not fair. They knew we were coming. That we, we, like, the film booked a lot of hotel. We, we'd taken over a lot of it. Yeah. We're ready, we're ready to go. Ready to go. Yeah. Um, and I, no, and they're very strict that no one had in the pool. The room we'd booked to use as our lab that we were working in had a set of patio doors that opened out onto the pool. Right. Onto the courtyard. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But they're very clear rules. You were not allowed in the pool. And there are men who would stand around the courtyard in the day and cut the pool, cut the pool, cut the pool. Um, so the Monday morning it was set to open. On the Sunday, we had a small party for the crew. And it ended up with me and my team back in our lab having a few drinks. Because the room we had, it was a communal room we had, and we had beer there. So we were all sitting around nice. drinking. Yeah, yeah. And the doors opened because it's hot enough to have the door open. I'm looking out the pool and thinking, that pool's opening tomorrow. They told us it was closed for chemical balancing and all of that kind of thing. So sure, sure, sure. I did, didn't want to be an idiot. But like, it's opening in about 10 hours. Right. And I'm like, I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going in. I've had a few beers. I'm with my colleagues. Um, and so I roll up my trousers to above my knees. Oh. And I wade into the shallow end of this pool till it just gets above my knees. Um, and there's a photo of me at like, at like two in the morning, stood in the middle of this pool, my arms wide with triumph. Oh. And standing in this pool that opened 10 hours later. Fantastic. Um, and then I obviously hightailed it out of the pool because I'm doing trouble. Because I'm still, you know. A British man, you know, I still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that was like, one of the moments where I'm like, this makes no sense. I'm going in that pool, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, 
I'm going to sort of bring things back to the situation at hand as we speak. Um, we're mm-hmm. in we're in second lockdown at the moment, and um, lockdown two, lockdown two, Lock- lockdown boogaloo. boogaloo. Yes, yes, yes. Um, what do you mean I can't go to the pub? I'm mm-hmm. I'm genuinely astonished by the the way um, the government at the moment have been stigmatising the great British public house. Um, mm. To the detriment, I mean, the hospitality in the UK has suffered massively over the past six months, anyway. But um, there's a pub near to me, a great pub. They're Fox and Hounds in Reading, in Caversham, and it's a fantastic pub. It's 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 just a real community asset. It's warm. It's welcoming. It serves great beer. It serves great food. They've worked incredibly hard over the past few months to get covid friendly to be mm. able to offer um proper outside drinking and and uh proper outside eating proper outside hospitality there's there's all sorts of new awnings up and new hard structures but across the road from um the fox and hounds there's a little park so during the summer during the first lockdown they were able to offer off-site drinks subsequently you would have the, pretty much the entire clientele of the fox and hounds across the road in the in the park doing a bit of mm. pub drinking uh, uh park drinking and it was just glorious and that was part of the reason that the fox and hounds managed to survive that first period of lockdown was because they were able to think think out think laterally and mm. offer something that maybe a lot of other pubs, unfortunately, in in, in well a- anywhere in the country, maybe couldn't offer. You know, if you haven't got a pub garden or anything like that, you'd struggle. Mm. But the Fox and Hounds didn't have a pub, garden, but they did have a pub park, <laughs> and it was just magnificent to see. You know, their Instagram account was just full of people sort of just managing to take a photo, holding up these squishy plastic glasses, and the fox and hounds sign in the background of it and it's just just kind of like it was this moment of kind of yeah yes it's it it's a weird situation it's a it's Mm. a horrible situation to be in but we can still pluck this little tiny bit of joy out of it and we can sit and you know we in in our our little bits and have a beer in the sunshine and maybe think about a time when we can do this properly and for real again um yeah it's just, it's sad times, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like I, I, we can't ignore the elephant in the room, obviously, of lockdown. And it is like I've my wife and I was discussing today. Like it's sometimes you just you lose sight of what might be again because like I I work from home now, um, and because I've got a little one, I don't go out much. I didn't go out much beforehand, and so sometimes you're a bit like well, I live in this house now, and I, I know I've just said I'm a homebody. Mm. But, like, you do, you sometimes think, will it ever, I mean, I've read really good news today about some vaccine that's coming on really well, mm. but will it ever come back again? Will it ever be, I don't know, not even normal, just, like, something else? And yeah. it can be really, I don't know, it's really kind of weighty. And, like, this year, my wife and I have made a real, a real effort that we have done all Christmas shopping already, because we're all on that. Okay. But we've done it all locally. Yes. Um, so now some of it has been at chain stores because we can't avoid that. But they've they've been spent locally. All the money we spent has been spent in 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 our town. 
Um, and it's been harder at times. Yeah, we, we, I could have just spent an afternoon on Amazon and bought it all. Mm. But we've really tried the effort this year to make sure that if we're buying something, we're trying to buy it locally. We're trying to spend the money in a shop where people we live with work and go to so that after all this, it's still there. You know, I don't want to live in a world in which we have a couple of online retailers who are these megacorps. You know, we've all read Judge Dredd. We've all seen Blade Runner. This is not a future we want. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, um, yeah, we're in. The, we're pretty much in the same boat. We've, we've, um, we, we use a local box scheme now for our veg, which, mm. which, it, which has its up points and its down points. Um, it's been great to discover interesting new vegetables, but at the same time, you do end up with. <laughs> courgettes and courgettes and courgettes and courgettes and unfortunately this time around um a vegetable that i would not normally have in the house we have a bag for the brussels sprouts uh yeah we, you are documented on your dislike of those yes yes so i'm i'm eyeing up this bag at the moment and trying to think well there must be something i can do with this i, I did kind of contemplate um rolling out a little message you know, to the community group for our road on Facebook. That's another good. That's another thing about the, about the whole lockdown situation now is that we've actually connected with our neighbours. That's for, nice. For the first time in like 15, 16 years, it's quite astonishing. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're we're a member of the Facebook group. We we sort of do what we call little lockdown meetings on on a, mm. on, a on a Friday after Friday afternoon, Friday evening, where everyone sort of just stands in their driveway and sort of yells at each other while while holding a glass of wine or something and that's kind of that's that's kind of sweet as well but yeah mm. i very nearly sort of said to the facebook group does anyone want a bag of brussels sprouts because i certainly don't want them but yeah so 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 yeah veg box schemes and embracing things like a uh, uh, takeaway food we never mm. used to eat takeaway that much this since lockdown, every Thursday is takeout Thursday, and it's always from a local place, yeah, you know, mm. a, a local independent place. So there's a, there's a great vegetarian restaurant, Veggievores in in Caversham, just up the road from us. There's a couple of really good, you know, like um, independent Chinese places, Thai places, uh, a Himalayan place we absolutely love. Um, nice, all that sort of good stuff, and you just rotate it, and you just make sure that the local places that you want to still be there when mm. the situation changes back to something less skew with are still there. So yeah, that that's really important. And, and, and that's why, you know, when you, when I say, what do you mean? I can't go to the pub or, you know, go out and support my local businesses. That's, that's just horrifying for me. The fact that you've got these, these places that have kicked and struggled and fought to stay open and mm. to be able to offer the services that they do to the local community and you can't help them back. That's, that's, a, that's a horrible situation for both sides to be in really. Cause you know, they want to be open. I want them to be open. Yeah. And the, the only way you can do that is to, is to throw money out of them in whatever way you can. So. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I, I would also take this topic to kind of, I take a moment to appreciate the way in which, Generally, a lot of people have kind of taken the. You mean I can't do this, and have found mm. the way to do it. Like for me, I mean, I live in a, a suburban area, and there's lots of lots of young kids in the area. It's yeah. that kind of a state. A lot of young kids, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. things like Halloween trick or treating has become in recent years a largest thing around here. 
Okay, yeah. yeah. And yeah, lots yeah. of people, a lot of people go all out for it, and you know, you see roving bangs of kids coming around with bags of sweets and stuff. And it's just, it's a nice, fun time. Obviously, this year, just can happen. You just can't do that sort of thing sure. in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. So, what was organised this year was that all the houses who were doing decorations and doing that sort of thing. We all, everyone posted in this group on Facebook and a map was drawn up of here are all the houses. Here are all the houses that are doing stuff. Mm. And the plan was that as a parent, you'd have a giant bag of sweets and you'd take your kid around and do, do, do a critique and then you'd give them some chocolates. So they'd come home with a bag of chocolates. They, they always do. They just mm. come from you rather than a bunch of fortune houses. And mm. this was all rolled out and organised on Facebook across this entire state. And all these people went all out to have this Halloween experience for these kids, keeping it safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember back in Easter, we we found out we found out it was one of our friends who was doing it. But someone had bought an Easter suit, like an Easter bunny suit, <laughs> and was just running around the estate, like Great. leaving eggs in people's houses, and like there'd be pictures of seeing the seeing the bunny down on Cadman Drive, or seeing the bunny over on Juniper Way, or seeing the bunny up on Elm Street. And it's just like all of these places, like it was just people who really went out of their way to go, you know what, we can't do these things, but we're going to do something else. There was a, yeah. a a young boy, must have been eight, who organized this. It was called the snake, but people painted stones, you know, just like a normal stone. Okay. And they laid them in this line, like a snake along the side of the lakes. By, by the end, this snake is... Two, three hundred meters long. Wow! It is this epic snake to the point where it's now been the council have got involved to try and preserve it. Oh, that's and they've te- they're taking all the stones and they're, and they're doing nothing. And it's just like this was a kid posting on Facebook going, "Look, we can't all do this, but like I've left this here, and everyone walked on the lake because it's where you go for the exercise. Mm-hmm. You bring them to you, and we did some with our daughter. And it's just like all the people around the country. I know it's like." The world can be a bit, bit doom and gloom at times, generally, sure. and this yeah. year can be even worse. And we're starting to see cracks of daylight coming in at the end here with, you know, the American elections and Yay. the vaccine possibly coming. And Madela Lawson's got a new TV series. Um, you know, like, we're seeing this, these cracks, but, like, I feel like this time, as dark and as horrific and heartbreaking as it's been for everybody the world over, has shown some light it has shown the faith in people to kind of come together yes and whilst yep. our leaders may be failing us at every turn i don't feel like my fellow men are my fellow women are i feel like my man in the sort of but my fellow people are not they're stepping up to look after those in need they're stepping up to run food banks and food mm. delivery services and you know like we the work we had one of our young young athletes put on zoom classes for anyone who wanted to come along you know i do a pub quiz with my parents and my parents yeah. live in cornwall and my brother lives in bristol and my aunt lives in stafford and every thursday we come together and we do a pub quiz that a guy is doing on youtube it has done every thursday for the entire year fantastic he's now got an mbe for doing it wow um and it's just like in the darkest of times, there's been real humanity and there's been real sense of community. And sometimes it's you know, geographic and sometimes it's online. Mm. And 
whilst ultimately I want to return to a sense of normality, I want to return to when things worked and when all the pubs were and stuff, but damn it, I don't want to lose that. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, we're, we're really keen on keeping the whole sort of community thing on, on mm. our road, ticking away. It's, it's a bit more difficult now that obviously meeting up at six o'clock on a Friday in November is not the same as meeting up on six o'clock on a Friday in June. But yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're already talking about sort of getting gazebos out and, and maybe a couple of lights and things like that. Just so people can, you know, it's, it's not for, for, it's not an all night thing. People sort of roll out for maybe like an hour, maybe an hour and mm. a half on a Friday evening and just sort of touch base, see how, see how people are getting on. And, you know, if, if anyone needs anything, but sometimes people just want, just genuinely want that little moment of connection. They want to be able to yeah. sort of say hi to your neighbors. How are you getting on? How's things? How's the new cat? You know, mm. that sort of, that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm massively in agreement that things have changed and a lot of it is not for the better, but there are certain things that have changed us for the better, and those are the those are the things that we do to hang on to. You know, in it, you know, in the light of what do you mean, I can't. That's that's the question that you provide an answer to and a solution to, and that's that thing that we we do need to hang on to. I think. Yeah. Wow, that got deep, didn't it? And I think that's a lovely isn't it? Yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah. Silence there. How do we how do we finish this? Oh, um I suppose I better just mention the fact that I am also available um on excusesandhalftruths.com um where I'm currently rolling out yet another um situation based mm. um initiative for want of a better word called the cut, which is basically um a once a week newsletter where I where I basically post all the interesting links that I've found during the week. Um, I have a p- very particular set of interests. I usually find something about food, something about film, something about comics. I always finish with a song. Um, so that that's there. That drops every Friday um, at 9am and has done since, crikey, May, I think. Um but that's still going. So if you're interested in that, do check it out. My pro tip with uh, Rob's The Cut is to scroll right to the end, press play on the song, and then listen to it while you read the um, the rest of it. That's my tip. It's a lovely soundtrack to what you're reading. Oh, see, see I, I would never have suggested or thought of doing that. That's my pro so tip. That, that, that's a super pro tip, and I endorse it very, very strongly. It just, it just for me particularly, like, I know Rob pretty well, but like for me, that song sets the mood. I know what I'm in for. I know what I'm getting now, and it just it gives the whole thing a lovely soundtrack. <laughs> so yeah, that's my my pick. For me, guys, you can find me generally on Twitter at KaijuFM. Um, I that's just where I post about podcasts and things that I do, and that's kind of the limit of my social media experience. Currently, I am very much on a social media diet, um, which is working out quite well for me. Or you can find me on Letterboxd, talking about movies. That's the other place that I am often on. I have another show, guys, here on the Code Room Network called The Prestige, um, in which me and my uh, childhood friend Sam talk about movies. He is an incredibly clever, incredibly well-edited English extra, and I used to make films. So between the two of us, we bring different views on movies. We are literally, I think 
probably depending on if it's out tomorrow releasing our finale our finale our finale to our heist season we've been looking at heist films from i think the 30s until now and we're ending up with the film widows from a few years ago excellent stuff and uh, so I, w- I won't spoil uh, my views on that but uh, if you want to like that just check it out on Kaiju FM and we're moving into our next mini season of adaptations looking at live action remakes of animated films so we're doing 10 episodes looking at a bunch of those if that's your kind of thing you can find me there that sounds very much like my sort of thing so um, yeah I, I will be as ever listening in the prestige is really really good folks so um give that a go if you're at all interested in movies it's 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 informative entertaining and interesting and we will be back next time with another episode full of diversions and distractions and little asides and conversation we hope you all enjoy we'll see you then